Today on Cross Defense, we're talking about Christian parenting and specifically how challenging it can be for parents to bring their children, especially teenagers, to church when we live in a culture that doesn't value the counsel of God, a culture that doesn't see the importance of seeking God's word like one might search out a hidden treasure. The law and gospel are at play here, so let's get into it. Another week, another episode of Cross Defense coming at you. It is a pleasure to be here with you today. Thanks for tuning in, my friends. Thank you for listening to KFUO Radio, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. That is true. Tune in all the time for the great content we're bringing your way. I know a lot of our listeners, listeners of this show, you guys, are actually tuning in via podcast. So I want to thank you right out the gate. Thank you for subscribing to this podcast. Thank you for downloading it. Thank you for sharing it with your friends. Thank you for being a part of of supporting what we're doing here. KFUO Radio is a listener-supported radio station, and that support comes in many ways, including your prayers. So please continue to pray for this show, that it would reach those, that it would be a tool, an instrument for God to reach those who are in need of help, who want to engage with the Word, who need their minds equipped, their imaginations excited in the gospel, and their souls comforted by Christ crucified. The cross that is our defense against our enemy. If you're new to the show and you're wondering who I am, (laughs) I am Reverend Tyrell Bramwell, the pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church out here in Ferndale, California, where the good saints are fighting the good fight of faith defended by the cross and empowered by the Holy Spirit to use the Word of God, the very Word of God, to defend the cross of Christ against the spiritual forces of darkness that would like to fully seize Humboldt County. We won't let it happen. The Holy Spirit won't let it happen through us. We are engaged. That's who I am. <laughs> I'm pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church and your host for the next hour of Cross Defense. One way the enemy is trying to snuff out Christ's light here in Humboldt County, but throughout the world, is through our children. If the enemy can seize our children, take our children captive, then a few generations will go by and there will be no more Christian church. Although we know that will not ever happen, the Lord has promised us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. But this is, despite that truth, the devil's game plan. It's his strategy. It's what he's trying to do, and we see it just going crazy in the world today. So many things that are affecting our youth, our children, our entire society, but especially those who are youngest and most vulnerable among us. So today we're going to address the challenge of bringing kids to church. (laughs) It can be a challenge for every Christian parent, not just um, new to the faith Christian parents, Lifelong Christian parents, uh, pastoral families wrestle with this. Trust me, it's true. Uh, no family is uh, you know, immune to this. We're all susceptible. So uh, many t- parents today are struggling to get their kids to church, especially given our current culture. Our peers in the parenting world, they are increasingly non-Christian. You see, in days gone by, 
It used to be that our peers supported our decisions to bring our children to church. They, they too, were bringing their children to church, even if they weren't really Christian in their heart and were only Christian in name only. It was the acceptable norm. It was the expected thing to do. But today, our, children, our children's friends are, are being raised in such a way that attending church isn't expected. It's not a priority. And in many cases, it's not even on the child's radar. So many kids don't even know what church is, who Jesus is. We take it for granted, many of us still coming off of the the memory of a culture that everyone knew, at least the basics, We, we thought, the basics of the faith. But no, this is not the case. We are a couple generations into this where children don't know even the basics of Christianity. And this makes it harder to live as Christians in our current culture, to be the Christians we are supposed to be, that we want to be. Even parents succumb to peer pressure. None of the other parents seem to care that the Little League game is scheduled on a Sunday. It must be okay, right? Right, Pastor? It's all right, Not that I ever get asked that question. It's just usually assumed, and we miss people when they're not in church. And to that, the age-old parenting question is a fitting, if not convicting, reminder of what we're dealing with. Dear parent, if all other parents were jumping off a bridge, would you too? Isn't this the logic we use with our children when we're trying to teach them to do the right thing even though their peers are doing the wrong thing? And we know the the answer to that question. Yes, parents, yes, you would jump off that bridge too because we are all susceptible to cultural persuasion, to peer pressure. Cultural persuasion has been affecting our family lives since the dawn of time. Why was God so adamant that Israel not mix with the other ancient peoples in the Old Testament era because because the unfaithful people would lure God's people into sin because they're sinners. We're susceptible to, to temptation. It happens all the time, and that's exactly what happened to Israel. They didn't do as the Lord said, and they, they were lured away to worship false gods and to commit a whole host of abominable sins. And that's exactly what we do today, isn't it? It indeed is. I know faithful Christians who have moved across the country because they recognized their susceptibility to peer pressure. Literally, Christians who moved from Southern California all the way out to Indiana, no, not to go to the seminary in Fort Wayne, but to attend a church in Fort Wayne. I attended the same church with these folks. They moved their families out of a a woke state, a woke culture, to a culture where they could go to church with other like-minded Christians and raise their children in a way that would be God-pleasing. They moved them there to safeguard their children from themselves. This is a wise and, and mature parenting tactic here. Extreme, perhaps, yes, but not as extreme as it happened in the past. I mean, why do you think 
the, the LCMS, if maybe you don't know this, if you're new to Lutheranism, if you're new to the Missouri Synod, one of the, the biggest impetuses, impeti, impetus, I don't know how that goes. <laughs> one of the reasons we came to America from Germany was because of what the state was doing with regards to our children's education. We did not want our children growing up with false doctrine, false views of God, false views of themselves and of our, our biblical understanding. So they moved as an entire church. All the people got together, got on the boat, and moved to Missouri. <laughs> moved to Missouri and started building schools. That's a neat little fact about Missouri Synod Lutherans. When we arrived in this land, one of the first things we did, even before building our church buildings, we built our schools and then built our churches because we could do church in the schools and we wanted our children to have a solid biblical education. Lord, help us get back to that kind of faithful zeal for your word. Help us to be like that. So the wisdom of Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, you've heard me say this before on the show. It is a very uh, profound passage for me. I think it's it needs to be in our ears far more than it actually is today, given all the different things we've been through in the last few years. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This text reveals that we need to be encouraged. We need to figure out ways to stir one another up. There is a social contagion aspect to much of what we do. There is the cultural persuasion aspect. There is the peer pressure reality it doesn't subside just because we grow up and we all of a sudden are adults and now we're we're not susceptible to peer pressure. That is totally not the truth. Our entire culture is built on peer pressure. When the prevailing culture in our country was Christian, raising our children to be Christian wasn't so hard. The peer pressure worked to our advantage, in our favor, but that is not the case anymore. But we will not give up hope, will we? No, we will not. For what is hardship, dear saints? You're having a hard time getting your kids to church? What is hardship, if not a blessing? Yes, a blessing to give us hope. Romans 5, 3 to 5. If you have your Bibles in front of you, please turn them there now. Romans 5, verses 3, 4, and 5. We rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You're struggling with all kinds of different things, but for today's show, maybe perhaps struggling with bringing your children to church, your teenagers to church. Maybe you know someone who is. Maybe you're not married at all. Maybe you're a, a widow. Maybe maybe you're just, this show doesn't pertain to you necessarily. You don't have kids. Well, no, it does pertain to you because you are a Christian witness and you can demonstrate 
and be equipped with the knowledge. You can equip your mind with the knowledge that all struggles are actually building us up for hope. And so you can then give vitamins of, of comfort, vitamins of truth to those people in your congregation, your brothers and sisters in the faith who are struggling to bring their children to church. Encourage them with the reality that struggling is a blessing. Praise be to God you're struggling. That means you are being built up toward endurance and hope, and hope doesn't bring us to shame. No, no. It brings us God's love and truth. Blessings abound for all of us. Everything we talk about in the church it all, it, it all pertains to every single one of us. It may not have the exact you know, application in your life, more direct and overt, but there is still wisdom there for, for you too, for all of us. So all this talk of teenagers, families, reminds me of a fun fact from St. Mark's history here in Ferndale. So let's excite your imagination. Back in 1903, when a missionary was still serving the saints in and around the Ferndale area, he told the congregation that they were finally large enough to be able to call a pastor of their own. When he presented the official paperwork to the people in that meeting, guess what? No one wanted to sign it. It was apparently one of those odd, silent moments that lasts forever. Then, then finally, a 15-year-old boy by the name of Carl Markison, maybe it's pronounced Marcusen. I wasn't here in 1903, I don't know. He stepped forward and signed the document. A 15-year-old teenage boy was the first to step forward, and in those days, we didn't have these necessarily these bureaucratic rules of age 18 and blah, blah. 25 more people followed his lead that day and a call was extended to the man who became the first resident pastor of what is now St. Mark Evangelical Lutheran Church in Ferndale, California, the mother church of the entire North Coast region, the Redwood Empire, that would go on to plant more and more churches where we would have churches in Fortuna and Eureka and Arcata and Crescent City all because this 15-year-old boy was coming to church, listening to the missionary, and then did what needed to be done by signing the documents that would call a pastor. That's amazing. I give thanks to God when I think about that, when I think about Carl Markison and how he was brought to church. Every parent, every single parent out there who brings their teenager to church should know that God is working not only through the parents, but through those teenagers, through their kids. Don't think about your kids as if they are uh, just being brought to church like it's, it's, it's for you, but they have to be dragged along because that's your responsibility. No, God is working through them too. Coming to church is a blessing for them too, as I know many of you are already fully aware. He is forming our teenagers in the instruments of God's blessings for others. Your kid, your kid is a Carl Markison. It's true. I will say right now, if you're within driving distance of my congregation, St. Mark Evangelical Lutheran Church in Ferndale, California, the, the mother church, as I said, of the Humboldt County region, the 
the, the full Redwood Empire, even into the county north of us, that, and you understand that peer pressure is real even for parents, then please come. Hear my invitation right now. Come and be a part of our peer group here at St. Mark's. Be a part of a faithful church with a growing number of parents who want to raise their children, not like the godless, woke Californians all around us, but like faithful, awake Christians, as St. Paul says in Romans 13, 11, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The, the time is now, my friends, no matter where you're at. The time is now. We have an obligation to our children. If you are a parent, you have been given stewardship over their souls. That is your primary vocation. Yes, you, you put clothes on their back and you feed them and you give them shelter and, and you take them to little league games and, and you help them prepare for their future and all that kind of stuff, earthly future and all that kind of stuff. But the primary thing you've been given to do is to raise them to live forever in Christ Jesus. The time is now. Wake from sleep. Find a local congregation faithful to God's word. And yes, drag your children there if you must. If they won't come willingly, you're the parent. Bring them. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. If you are not near Ferndale and you don't know where the nearest LCMS congregation is, I would encourage you to go to locator, L-O-C-A-T-O-R dot L-C-M-S dot org slash church. Locator dot L-C-M-S dot org slash church. Plug in your location and you will find the churches near you. You can get to a church, my friend. You can build your own peer group with fellow Christians. You don't need to move from California to Indiana. You can do it right in your own location. Start building the, the community that you want that will help keep you from succumbing to the world's peer pressure. We're going to leave it right there for this first segment of the show. When we get back, we will talk more about uh, from Scripture about the hard times of bringing children to church and how we can actually do some tangible, practical things to help make that easier. So don't go away. You're listening to Cross Defense. Each weekday on the Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of living boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. As we're talking today about bringing children to church, it is obvious to all parents who are dealing with teenagers that one of the hardest times for many parents is during their children's teenage years. Bringing them to church then can become difficult. Whether they've been coming to the church their whole life or not, uh, it is easier. I will say this, it is easier to do it if you have already established the, the routine of coming to church from their younger years, indeed from their infancy, if it's just always been what the family does, it's, it is easier. I don't want to misrepresent that. But 
even then, teenage years are a challenge for all families. If you know something about this, well, lend me your ears, dear saints, and let's get into this. This is the question. Is there a way to ease the constant struggle and get everyone in the family on the same page? That's really what we're, we're cooking towards, right? That's what we want to find out. What guidance do we find in Scripture to help us who are, who are trying to, to fulfill our parental vocation? Well, one of the first places we end up going to is Deuteronomy 6. And we've talked about this passage recently on the show as well. And Deuteronomy 6 reveals the will of the Lord, specifically for parents, when you look at the text. Let's, let's go there right now. Deuteronomy 6, starting at chapter, or excuse me, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, what is God saying here? If not, that his word is to be the focus of our lives, always being taught to our children. If it's the focus of our lives, it will then naturally be shared with our children. But we can, we can end up in the rat race, in the hustle, as we talk about today, we can end up neglecting our children's education in the Word because we're so busy with our own lives. And, and so this, this text is specifically laying out to be diligent in teaching our children all the time to teach them God's Word. This is, without a doubt, law, isn't it? It is what the parent is to do. That's law language. Anytime we're talking about doing something or not doing something, we're talking about the law. Now, the law guides us in our walk with Christ, and it's good, but it also convicts us because it shows us how we fail to keep the law, what we fail to do. There is not a single parent, not one, who has ever perfectly kept the command to teach his or her children as God says in Deuteronomy 6. Now hold on to that thought for a minute. Let, let that sit there as, as I keep talking, and we'll get back to it in just a second. There is not a parent out there who perfectly does Deuteronomy 6. Now, because some parents will hear what God says in Deuteronomy and learn something that they didn't know before, we want to pause and praise God. Praise be to God for that. If you're new to the Christian faith or new to the parental vocation, or perhaps you've never really thought about this text, maybe you didn't know that God's Word is our everything all the time, not just on Sunday morning. If that's you, if, if this is something new to you for whatever reason, now you know. Now you know. In your vocation as a parent, you are to be diligent in teaching your children what God says. It's not just a weekend event, but a lifestyle. To be a Christian is to have a particular lifestyle. 
Knowing this will help your efforts to get your children on the same page with you when it comes to going to church. And here's the why. See, when God's Word defines our lives, when it's part of everything we do, our our sitting, walking, lying down, rising up, our coming in, our going out, then we are immersed not only in God's law, which instructs us and convicts us, but you're also immersed in God's gospel. The whole family knows Jesus as Jesus is revealed in the scriptures. Gracious, merciful, loving, sacrificial, helpful, atoning, your Savior who rescued you from sin, death, and the grave. And what does knowing all of this about Jesus do for you and for your kids, whatever their ages? It creates a thankful heart that, yes, wants to go be where this man Jesus is present, where he's promised to be present. Think about it like this. Christmas, right? Is it hard to convince your kids to get up on Christmas morning? Well, no, of course not. Mostly. Why? Because of the gifts. It's the same thing with church. Church is the place to go to get the gifts God has promised to give us. It's a place we we get to go to, not that we have to go to. It's a place where we get to go where God the Almighty freely, radically, graciously gives his gifts to those in attendance. Now, the pastor who brought me into the church, when I was a teenager, I should add, put it this way. If each week after the divine service, when the, when the pastor is you know, shaking hands with everyone in the greeting line as they, they're filing out of the nave, if he were to give everyone who came to church a $100 bill, then the church would be full, wouldn't it? The word would spread quickly throughout town that the pastor gives everyone a free hundred bones every single Sunday simply because they showed up. Now, those of you who come to church every week who are devout in your faith, you you know that God gives us far more than $100 every week. Christians who are actively inviting their family, their friends, their colleagues to church, they extend that invitation because of the treasures Christ gives us in baptism, in confession and absolution, the forgiveness of our sins spoken into our eardrums, communion there at the Lord's table, tasting the sweet taste of forgiveness, receiving Christ's body and blood in, with, and under the bread and wine. In the sermon, as the pastor elaborates on the text, explains it, makes it understandable for us. In the fellowship of believers who come, again, back to that peer group we referenced in the first segment, in the hymns that we sing, praising God and rejoicing, filling our hearts with with that joy, in the prayers we pray, all of it, the entire divine service is gift after gift after gift after gift after gift. It's it's so much more than $100 given simply because you showed up. This takes some instruction for our teenagers to grasp. And it's even harder if they weren't raised in the church, having heard this repeated over and over their entire lives. But think about it. 
Where else will your teenagers get the gift of forgiveness for their horrible behavior? This is what everyone gets at church. Forgiveness for our horrible behavior. Where else will will your teenager's parents, (laughs) you, learn to forgive them when they sin? which will bring more peace and tranquility to the house. Teenagers aren't thinking this through all the way because their minds are still developing, but teenagers want or should want, if they knew what was good for them, and they don't always, they should want mom and dad going to church. They should want mom and dad to be dragging them to church because that's where mom and dad are shaped into gracious, loving parents who repent of their hard handed legalism and are shaped by our heavenly father who instructs us and nurtures us with love and mercy. We know the law full well. It's our native language. We get it. It's been taking us to school our entire lives. But when we come to church and hear the law properly divided from the gospel, rightly distinguished, and have both law and gospel applied to us appropriately from our Father in heaven, we learn to speak God's gospel language too. It's a great thing. It's a tremendously great thing. And this is what we should want for all of our relationships. I want every single person I interact with to be going to church because that's going to make them a more gracious, loving, merciful person. I win. (laughs) Our teenagers win when we bring them to church, when we go to church ourselves. Where else on earth will your teenagers be given a kingdom? I mean it. At church, God makes us co-heirs with Christ. What is Christ an heir to? The kingdom of heaven. Who needs their pastor to palm them a Benjamin when God is freely giving them his kingdom. When we think of kingdoms, we think of crowns. And when I think of crowns, I think of Revelation 2.10. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Or how about James 1.12? How does this comfort your soul? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And we immediately think of Jesus, how he stood the test, how he didn't succumb to the devil's temptations in the wilderness or throughout his entire earthly ministry, and how he received his crown of thorns and then was resurrected from the grave to life everlasting to give us that crown of life. We then think of Stephen, the first Christian martyr who received his crown of life, and and even his name means that. This is what we're bringing our teenagers to, the kingdom of God. Who needs a $100 bill when they can receive the eternal kingdom of heaven? Life is full of trials. Only in Christ Jesus can we or our teenagers, our kids of any age, stand the test and persevere till the end. We need his spirit to do that. We need his his grace. We need his sacraments. We need to, to be reminded of the absolution that we have in the cross. This is why we bring our children to church, isn't it? This is why you want to know how to bring your grumbling teenager to church, why you're struggling 
and keep fighting that good fight of faith while you continue to struggle and haven't thrown in the towel. Where else does anyone, your kids included, receive immunization from the one disease that has a 100% mortality rate? What am I talking about? No, not COVID-19. No, not monkeypox. Death. Sin is the disease with a 100% mortality rate. Do your kids want to live forever? (laughs) I know you're thinking, well, they kind of already act like they, they will. I know. That's one of the blind spots of youth. Mortality hasn't caught up with him yet, but it will. Well, actually, maybe that's not true anymore. It used to be the case, but since so many kids have been forced to think about dying every single day from COVID-19, put on your mask, Johnny. We don't want you to catch COVID-19. It's deadly. Maybe they do fear death just as much as the rest of us. Maybe in 10 years, 10 years from now, all these kindergartners and first graders will have a sense of mortality. I don't know, but what I do know, what I do know is that the thought of unending life Escaping death once propelled men, men like the Ponce de Leon, to explore the new world in search of the fountain of youth, the remedy to death. I, I, I know, I know. I lost you at Ponce de Leon. We're not supposed to talk about these kind of unmentionable European explorer types. You know, him and Christopher Columbus are, are off limits. I get it. Thank you, Howard Zinn. But no, I'm, I'm Lutheran. So when someone tries to apply pharisaical laws to my conscience, I'm going to reach for the gospel so that you can see how free Christ truly makes us. But I digress. I digress. (laughs) Calm down, Pastor. Unlike the mythical fountain of youth, there is a true fountain that gives immortality. Truly, immortality to all who bathe in its waters. Baptism. And we don't have to sail across the world to get to it. We need only get out of bed and make our way down to the local church where Christ is waiting and ready to give us eternity along with all the other gifts he's ready and waiting to give us. All of them. And that, my friends, is not hyperbole. I'm not exaggerating. Christ gives us unending life. And all of this is basically, as parents realize, it's what we're aiming to do for our children from the moment they're born all the way through their teenage years and into adulthood as we model for them a lifetime of faith in Christ. All you seniors out there, all all you single Christians out there, hear this as well. Whether you have children or not, whether your children are grown and out of the house or not, take this in, okay? Younger people are watching you. They are learning how to behave when they get to your stage of life. We're all striving or need to be striving to communicate to our children and to all our neighbors, the children of others. What is succinctly said in Psalm 66, verse 5, come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. This is what we communicate by how we live in deed, and in truth. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back for our last segment of today's show. Thanks for listening to Cross Defense. Don't go away. The Word of Christ comes forth from His mouth as a sharp, two-edged sword. By that Word, He puts our sin to death, 
and he raises us to new life in him. Join me, Pastor Timothy Apple, on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on KFUO as guest pastors from around the world lead us into the Word of God to help us sharpen our faith in Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. Psalm 66, 5. This is where we left off before the break. So now let's take this and relate it back to what I told you to hold on to at the beginning of the previous segment. God's law convicts us of our sinful failings as parents, doesn't it? This is why you, too, Receive the invitation of Psalm 66, 5. Dear Christian parents, hear this now, and all you sinners out there, come and see what God has done for you. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. It's for you as much as it is for your kids, and it's for your kids as much as it is for you. Don't forget that. Are you familiar with the calling of Andrew and Peter? In John's Gospel. Go with me to to John 1, verse 35. We're going to read through 42. John 1, 35 to 42. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Look, right there, look, there, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Okay, so if you're a listener who's looking for solid, tangible advice on how to get your kids to want to come to church, This passage, you may not realize it, but this passage is helpful. What did Andrew tell his brother? Peter, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Is that how you're approaching your teenagers? See, this is really also for every Christian out there who has someone that they're trying desperately to get to come to church. What are you inviting them to? Think about that for a second. Reflect on that for a minute. How are you expressing the value of attending the divine service? If you're coming at it knowing it's your vocational responsibility, that's great. Praise be to God. But it may have turned into a burden for you. That's where the language of struggle in this case is coming from. It's a a chore. It's law. Something you have to do. There's no joy in that. We know 
What God wants us to do, raise our children in His Word. Diligently teach them His Word all the time throughout the day. Get them to church where they will receive the same gifts that we're receiving. But we can't forget that the law does not save. It doesn't free us. It actually binds us. The law shows us our sin because it shows us what we're supposed to do and that what we're failing to do. We're told in Scripture that the law of God, which is good and holy, don't ever forget that, is, however, insufficient to save us. Go with me to Romans 8, verses 2 and 3. The Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The law cannot save you or your teenagers. What do we need? We need the gospel. We need the gospel. Andrew approached the task of bringing Peter to church, if you will. He approached the task from the gospel perspective. We have found the Messiah. He brought him to Jesus. I don't know if anyone is looking for particular parenting advice, (laughs) but if you are, if you would take mine, my advice to you is to bring your children to meet the Messiah. If you're having a hard time teaching your children why church is important, let them know that like Andrew, you, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, you have found the Christ and you want to bring them, your dear children, to meet him. He is their Savior. He's not their taskmaster. He is their Savior, just like He is your Savior. Communicate to the family that you're bringing them to the one who has set them free from the burden of the law, from the consequence of their sin, that is, death. The one who brings joy and happiness, love and mercy, hope and truth into their lives. When we read Ephesians 6, verse 4, we find instruction to parents, more instructions, particularly to fathers in this case, which is quite convicting when we consider the epidemic of fatherlessness today. So let me give you an aside real quick. This is a side note. Guys, don't be deadbeats. Yeah, that's law, I know, but don't reject it. Man up. Repent of sinning against your children and their mother. Bring your contrite heart to Christ. Be forgiven and rejoice in how the Holy Spirit will work in you to bless your children and your children's children. And not only them, but our entire society as we will all benefit from your Christ-like manliness. Okay, so there's my aside. Back to Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is what I'm saying with my guidance to be like Andrew. 
Look at what this simple, singular sentence says. First of all, parents and fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. In terms of, of bringing them, especially teenagers, to church, do this according to your vocation as parent. It's your job. The family isn't as democratic as many people seem to think it is today. Establish that this is what the family is going to do. We go to church. We're Christians. For all the gospel reasons we just discussed. Now, be parents. Aim to keep the law because you know it's good and gracious. It's the will of our Father in heaven. Aim to keep it because you want to, not because you have to. Try to instill in your children that same spirit, that this is something they, they should want to do because we want to do it, not they have to do. Kids pick up their, their views on life from their parents. Do it, in, do it in a way that, as far as your behavior is concerned, it doesn't provoke anger from your children. Now, what Paul says in Romans 12, 18 applies to your relationship with your children too. So if you want to flip there, you can. If you need to pause this podcast or whatever you're doing, uh, if possible, he says, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So if going to church is a new thing for your kids, understand that there may be some bad attitudes and Israelite-style grumbling from them. But let it be just that. Don't provoke the anger with a legalistic view of why you're going to church. Likewise, don't reward their grumbling by giving in and not going to church. That's what the enemy would like us to do, like to give up the fight. But fight the good fight of faith. Run the race. Counter the grumbling with what will finally undo the grumbling. Not the law, but the gospel of Christ Jesus. Your motivation is the gospel. With that said, we're also careful not to misunderstand the rest of Ephesians 6.4. Don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Because of where your kids are in their development, and thinking specifically of teenagers again, teenagers are good at making parents feel like they could be provoking them to anger. Drama, right? They're good at making us question ourselves, even if we don't reveal that to them. We feel it in our hearts. We know it. If you're bringing your family to church because Jesus has promised that where two or three are gathered in his name, that's where he is to give us his gifts, his treasures, as he says in Matthew 18, 20, and your kids are copying an attitude and acting like your parental decision is ruining their lives, Remember they are children and that you have been given stewardship over their souls and God's word has shaped your understanding and now you know what is good for them. Jesus is good for them. Model the Lord's grace and continue bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It may take some time, my friends. It may. That's okay. The disciples needed time too. You're not alone in your efforts. So many parents, so many parents are seeking guidance and confirmation in what they're doing, for what they're doing. There are literally books on it. 
And one of them, I just so happen to have in front of me, that I find to be a good resource. And this will wrap up the show for today as we go through this material. It's called Family Vocation, God's Calling in Marriage, Parenting, and Childhood. And it's written by Jean Edward Veith Jr. and Mary Merby. Now, here's just a section on the discipline and instruction of the Lord from our Ephesians 6-4 reading. Listen to this. The Bible speaks about the importance of discipline for children. Here again, what parents are to do is connected to what God does. And now we get this long passage from Hebrews 12, 5 to 11. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Discipline is something we do out of love. Bringing our children to church is something we do out of love. I won't continue reading the whole passage for the sake of time, but you can look it up, Hebrews 12, 5 to 11. Uh, Veith and Meribi continue, discipline is not pleasant, but it is an expression of love. And parents are to make that love clear, even as they discipline their children. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged, Paul says in Colossians 3.21. This is not an impersonal discipline, but the discipline precisely to serve the child. Discipline means much more than punishment. The English term discipline comes from the same root as disciple. Both refer to instruction given to a student. To discipline A child means to disciple the child. Certainly, the Bible refers to applying the rod, but even this is described not as punishment, but as discipline, growing out of love. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 13, 24. Little children are adorable, but they are uncivilized. They need instruction and training. They cannot control themselves physically, emotionally, or morally. As they grow older, they develop more and more self-control, but parents have to teach them what to do. Thus, the work of potty training, insisting on please and thank you, shushing them in church, and teaching them how to behave. Oh my goodness. So many people in the world need to read this. Instead of letting our children tell us that they no longer are, you know, a boy, and if they want to be a girl, this here, clear wisdom from Scripture, no, we, we as parents are the ones that are supposed to help them learn how to be adults, to learn who they are. Uh, I, dig- I digress again. <laughs> Children, though they seem innocent, bear the fallen human nature. They are self-centered, willful, indulging every impulse. Parents have to teach them right from wrong. Don't push your sister down, you say. Give back your brother's toy. Share, they say. Moral principles, if they are to mean anything when a child grows up and leaves home, must be internalized. The young man does what he should, not because his parents are forcing him to, but because he personally agrees with the principles they taught him. He does what is right, not because of external constraints or threats of punishment, but freely of his own volition. The child must not just be controlled, he must develop 
self-control. The gospel transforms a person from the inside. Faith in Christ is active in love, bearing fruit in good works and love of neighbor, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering excuse me, service with a good will as to the Lord and not a man, Ephesians 6, 6 and 7. Moral instruction is no longer just a matter of forcing children to comply with arbitrary-seeming rules. It becomes cultivating in them an internally motivated response to God's grace. This means teaching children to love and serve their neighbors. This involves cultivating empathy, encouraging children to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, Romans 12, 15. It involves teaching children to consider the impact of their actions in terms of the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, Matthew 7, 12. Thus children develop a conscience. They will still transgress sometimes, but they will also know the true Christian discipline of repenting and finding forgiveness from their parents and whomever they offended and from God. Christian parents can bring the gospel into their child raising just as children can have faith in their father. They can have faith in their heavenly father. Parents can take them to church, see them baptized, and talk to them about Jesus on every occasion. In the context of the gospel, parents can approach their children as fellow Christians. They can bring the law to bear on their children's faults in such a way that they repent, whereupon parents, like God, extend to them forgiveness. Gospel, 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 right? Right? It's a great book. I highly recommend it. Go get it. Read the rest of it. It's amazing. Whomever you're trying to bring to Christ's divine service, whether it's your toddler, your teenager, anyone, co-worker, friend, neighbor, of whatever stripe, bring them like Andrew. Bring them with the gospel. Show them that you have found the Messiah, or more accurately, as the Andrew text actually reveals, the Messiah has found you. Bring them to church for the freedom that Jesus gives, the gifts that he bestows on us and that he wants everyone to receive. That's it for today's show, my friends. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Defense, where it is our goal to comfort your soul with the knowledge that the Messiah has come. Christ has found you, my friend. And in the words of one of your brothers here at St. Mark Lutheran Church in Ferndale, California, for that very reason, you can be perpetually stoked. <laughs> if our show is a blessing to you, perhaps it'll be a blessing to your neighbor. Share this podcast with them that they too can meet the Messiah. After all, you're listening to KFUO Radio, aren't you? Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. It's true. See you next week.
Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.